Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. Thank you, worship team. Back in 1991, during the first Gulf War, a senator received a letter from a constituent. I love that word, constituent. And in that letter, the the citizen, the constituent, he urged the senator to back the removal of the Iraqis from Kuwait. The constituent got two letters in return. Now, when we write, you know, when we write officials, we don't really even generally expect one, but he got two letters. In the first letter that he received, the senator agreed with him and said, I fully support the president's position of militarily removing Iraq, the Iraqi forces from Kuwait. But then to his surprise, he received a second letter and that second letter thanked him for his letter and said, I voted against the war in the first place. So undoubtedly what had happened was the senator met with his staff and they discussed two types of letters and which one of those letters they should send and someone accidentally sent both of them rather than just one of them. But you know what? Sometimes that's like us. We play both sides of the issue. We have an answer for either way. And I want to look at that word please because my message today is called a pleasing sacrifice. When we look at that word please, it means to be the will or pleasure of. And I want you to understand today that we don't have to guess at what pleases God, what makes him happy. As Christians, we can be God's pleasure I want to begin with Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. If you have your Bibles and you want to open to that, I'm going to hang around there quite a bit throughout my message, referring back to it. But in verse 15, it said, Therefore, Jesus, or excuse me, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. I want us this morning to look at three ways to please God. And the first one is this, a sacrifice of praise. Mike Murray, uh, who many of you know, who's part of our church here, in his latest devotional that he had published, he says this, there are moments when the circumstances of life cause believers to vocally and enthusiastically declare their praise to God. Can anybody identify with that at all? That there are things that happen in life, Don, that are so amazing, that are so incredible, that we cannot help ourselves. We must vocally and enthusiastically say, praise God that this happened. Now, I'm not encouraging anybody to do this. I don't do this, but if you played the lottery and you were informed that your ticket was a $100 million ticket, how would you respond? You, you would go, you'd go a little crazy. 
wouldn't you? And you would say, God, th- th- God, thank you. You know, I whatever whatever you feel about it, I you would thank God for it. Okay, but I, and and there are some things in life when they happen, they are so absolutely amazing. They are so big. They are so wonderful that we cannot help ourselves but vocally and enthusiastically praise God for it. But I want you to know that on the exact opposite side of that, there are other things, there are other circumstances, there are other situations in our lives that when we find ourselves in those situations, we want to do absolutely anything but praise him. In fact, maybe we want to blame him. Maybe we want to get mad at him, but we certainly don't want to praise him. And then there's all this other real estate in between those two areas. You've got the absolutely fantastic and the praises pour out of our mouth. And then we have this other side of it where we want to kind of turn our back a little bit from him. And we want to sort of, you know, maybe fold our arms. My grandson, he kind of turns his back and he puts his head down like this when when he's mad at you. You know, he doesn't. That's what we want to do to God. And there's all this room in between. And that's the feel like it area. If I feel like it, I'll worship him. If I feel like it, I'll praise him. If the worship leader leads exactly the right set of songs, I'll worship him. If my spouse does exactly what I'm hoping they will do. If my kids pick up their clothes in the bathroom, I will praise him. I will declare it's a miracle from the housetops. Okay? Do you get what I'm saying? Do you get, I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm off on this. Hebrews chapter 13, again, verse 15, the first, the first verse that I read. <clears throat> through Jesus, and I want you to get that, through Jesus, God is, God is indicating to us that if we want to worship God, it, it goes through Jesus. That's what worships him. Well, why doesn't he just say, through God? We worship, by worshiping God, we worship God. God is saying, when you worship Jesus, so through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So we praise God by worshiping Jesus. Interesting. God is deflecting. He's asking us to worship his son. Very interesting. Jesus, in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, when he told them how to pray, he said, here's how you pray, our Father. We have them both deflecting worship and glory back to each other. But God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to worship Jesus. And that word praise there, it means a thank offering. A thank offering. When we praise God, we are giving him a thank offer. We're saying, God, I'm so thankful. That's why we're so quick when it's, the situation is, is amazing. That's why we're so quick to say, God, I thank you. And when the situation is bad, we do not want to say, God, thank you. We don't want to worship him because we're not thankful for what's happening to us right there in that moment. Now, another thing that I want you to understand, in order for this sacrifice of praise to be sacrificial, it must be continual. 
That means it encompasses the absolutely fantastic and it encompasses the the terrible situation. The situation that we don't want to be in. The situation that causes us pain. We need to worship him the same way. Remember it said the fruit of our lips. We need to speak that praise out. We need to, uh, to declare it. It says openly profess. Man, when things are going bad, we don't want to be open about anything. We certainly don't want to worship Jesus openly because look at this situation that I'm in. How can I do that? The writer of Hebrews says that this is a sacrifice of praise. It's not just when we feel like it. I want to tell you something, and you may not like it, but it is the truth. And that is this, that the very nature of Christianity is sacrifice. That's really hard for us to understand in America. Because we don't have a whole lot that we have to sacrifice by being a Christian. Whereas in some countries, if you were in a Muslim country raised in a Muslim family, and if you became a Christian, you would be cut off from your family. In fact, it could be much worse than that. So it's not much of a sacrifice for us today to be a Christian, to follow Christ. But Jesus, what did he do for us? He died on the cross. We just celebrated communion, the Lord's Supper. We just celebrated it. Jesus went to the cross and he died for us. We say that he sacrificed himself to forgive our sins. A sacrifice. And what did Jesus say? He said, you need to take up your cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after me. The very nature of our relationship with Jesus Christ is to sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. In order for us to maintain that sacrifice, we need to offer up this sacrifice of praise. I love this verse in Habakkuk chapter 3. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive oil crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The prophet here is writing to faithful Jews. They're upset because God is using Babylon to accomplish his purposes and he's talking here about their current condition of life. Though that you, you don't have any resources. Everything is gone. Look at the list that he talks about. The fig tree does not uh, bud. There are no grapes on the vines. No, ol- the olive crop fails. Uh, there's, no, there's no sheep in the, in the pen. No cattle in the stalls. All the ways that they would typically receive resources. It's all gone. And he says, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Let me ask you this question. What is your current situation like? What are you going through right now? Maybe you say, well, Kevin, to be honest, I really don't see much of a future in my life. Maybe you 
don't feel like you have an adequate income. Maybe you don't know even where your next meal's going to come from. You have no wealth, you have no strength. You don't see that you have the resources that you need. What does Habakkuk say? He said, yet or despite of all of that, I will commit myself to present to him a sacrifice of praise. Whatever the outlook is, I will praise him. You say, man, this isn't even possible. This is unrealistic. Is it really? Is it unrealistic that we can worship God even when our circumstance is dire as well as we can when our circumstance is abundant? Is that really? I want to look at Acts chapter 16, verses 23 to 25. It talks about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas had been arrested. And they were, here according to verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, we know that this is not just um, getting roughed up. This, this is pretty close to putting your life in jeopardy. This is a severe punishment. They were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Why do you think they sang? They were offering a thank offering. They were giving God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of their lips. They were proclaiming it for others why is it a sacrifice? Why is it so difficult to praise God when things are hard? To praise God. I, I'll tell you why Paul and Silas were doing it. They were grateful. They, they, they said, God, thank you that we are worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. They saw things different than you and I would see. Do you offer a sacrifice of praise only when times are good? Or do you also offer a sacrifice of praise when circumstances are terrible in your life? Are you someone that truly can offer a sacrifice of praise? Or are you a bit of a fair weather worshiper? And you need things to be going really good before you can thank God and praise him and give him that thank offering. Number two, the second way is a sacrifice of good deeds. In uh, verse 16 of Hebrews 13, our text, he said, and do not forget to do good. How do we forget to do good? I, I think it's easy for us to forget to do good, mainly because we're focused on us, okay? We're focused on ourselves, our life, our situation, and so it's easy for us to overlook doing good for others, why is it a sacrifice so often to do good to others? I think it depends. It's not much of a sacrifice at times to do things if someone is our friend, to do something for them, to do something good for them. They're our friend. We already like them. We already love them. We're already predisposed to them. But if it's someone that is not our friend... It's a lot more different. If they're a stranger, it's much more difficult. Not a sacrifice if they're our friend. It's a sacrifice if they're a stranger. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said this beginning in verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, 
Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them also, the other also. Now you say, wait a minute, this, is, this does not make sense at all. You're telling me that God wants me to actually respond in kindness when someone mistreats me. Yes, that's exactly what I'm suggesting. Not because of what I say, but what scripture says. And I want you to know that the Jews were extremely confused by this as well. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That phrase, you have heard it said. It would be easy to think that what Jesus is saying is that in the Old Testament, in the law, you heard it said, hate your enemies. But in reality, that's not what Jesus is saying. And indeed, if you read the Old Testament, you will not find a place where it says that you should hate your enemies. But God said, love your enemies. Or excuse me, said, love your neighbor. And when they interpreted that, love your neighbor, well, God said, love your neighbor, but he didn't say anything about your enemy. Therefore, if he had said something about your enemy, it would be to hate your enemy. And so they had this assumption, and it says that the Pharisees and other leaders in religious law, they basically wrote this into the scripture, and it was common practice to teach to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus is saying that has not been said. In fact, I'm saying something completely different. I'm suggesting uh, that, that you actually love your enemy. A neighbor we know is someone that we know, and they were interpreting their enemy to be someone that they didn't know. Jesus said, I have a different kingdom that I'm bringing about. So we say, I should do good to those who actually hate me. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. We say it doesn't make any sense. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 33. He said, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. In other words, if we only do good to those that are our friends, we're no different than the world. Because out in the world, they're doing good for their friends. And they expect it in return, correct? But God is calling us to do good to others, not based on whether or not they are our friends and not based on whether or not it will be returned to us. And I want you to know that God rewards this kind of behavior. In Luke 6.35, Jesus said, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. So this kind of sacrifice pleases God. How often do we go out of our way to do good things that are not a part of our circle of friends? How often do we go out of our way to do good things for those that we know nothing about? I venture to say that in the next several months, there will be probably thousands of people in our country that will descend upon Florida to do good things for people that they do not know. 
they will be living out this command of doing good things for others. The third sacrifice is the sacrifice of sharing. You know, we teach our kids when they're little how to share. And it mortifies us when our kids refuse to share. When we have a situation where two kids are fighting over a toy and one of the kids are ours and that toy is our kids and they don't want to share, they don't want to give it up, they have 72 exactly like it, it doesn't matter because that's my toy and he's got it and I want it. We are so embarrassed when that happens. So embarrassed. Proverbs 25 verse 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. The early church understood this. In the early days of the church, in the book of Acts, they were meeting needs of others. And they didn't know these people, okay? They didn't know these people because the church was growing so fast that they couldn't keep up with it. Over the years, I've heard people talk about how they love that their church is a certain size so that they can know everybody. The early church didn't know everybody because they were getting saved, sometimes thousands at a clip. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 45. It says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. In other words, they, did, they, they shared with each other. They shared with each other to meet those needs. Within a short period of time, we know that things changed. Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Imagine now how difficult it was to sacrifice Imagine now how difficult it was to share with other people because you don't know if they're going to persecute you the way you were persecuted in Jerusalem. You don't know if you're even going to have enough because you had to leave your, your, your home. You, you might have had to leave resources behind, crops in the field. You had to flee in persecution. Now you don't know what to do. And Luke says in Acts, he said that they were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, but they were careful to do it only to Jews, other Jews, because now they're surrounded by Gentiles, and they don't know really how to ultimately respond. In Romans uh, chapter, excuse me, in James chapter 2, James says this in verses 15 to 17, he said, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James was considered to be the lead pastor in the, in the church in Jerusalem. He was the, the, the brother of Jesus, and he was pastoring those people. Now he finds them, they're scattered all over the region because of the persecution that took place. Even James himself, 12 years after writing this, would be martyred for his faith. And this persecution that they were going through, James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. How do we do that? 
Paul in Romans 12, writing to a church under persecution, he said, bless those who persecute you. He said, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Don't take revenge. Trust in God. He said, give food and water to those who are hungry, even if they're your enemy. He said, don't be overcome uh, with evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, it can be a sacrifice to share. We can say, and the reason that it's such a sacrifice to share is that in every single one of us, there's a three-year-old crying out. It's mine. I don't want to. In fact, I don't have to. God calls us to be people that share. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus said, Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There is a blessing when we share with others. We are blessed. I didn't read this in the first service, but I want to read it to you now. The author of the the pulpit commentary writes this. He said, the grand characteristic feature of the society of his followers must be generosity. They must be known among men as givers rather than judges. Boundless generosity, limitless kindness to all, saint and sinner. Friends, can we be convicted of sharing? Can we be convicted of sharing? As I close, and I'm going to have the worship team come, I want to remind you that at one point in every one of our lives, and I mean every single one of us in this place, we were the enemies of God. The Bible says before we come to know Christ, we are the enemies of God. And yet, Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're his enemies. We had never taken one step toward him. And yet, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. God made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. Friends, I want you to know that today, as we read these words in Hebrews chapter 13, as we talk about making a sacrifice of praise, as we talk about the sacrifice of doing good to others, as we talk about the sacrifice of sharing with others, it is nothing that God has not already lived out before us in the ultimate way possible. He has given the best of heaven. He's given his son Jesus Christ for us. As we close our service today, we're gonna just take a moment and we're gonna sing a song that we sang a little bit earlier today uh, called The Waymaker. And I just want to encourage you because I believe that God is today speaking to us. He uses his word to do so. And as we sing, if the Holy Spirit is challenging you in some way, 
in this idea of sacrifice. Don't, don't be the three-year-old inside that says, God, I, I don't, that's mine. I don't have to do that. But I believe he's calling us. He's calling us to be sacrificial worshipers. He's calling us to give a sacrifice of doing good to others. He's calling us to do a sacrifice of sharing. And today, if you wanna, if you wanna be someone that, that is pleasing to God in those ways and you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you, I wanna just invite you. And I wanna remind you, we call this the altar. The front of the church is called the altar. Now, we don't have railings or anything like that, but in the Old Testament, the altar was the place where the priest made the sacrifice. And Paul said in in Romans 12, he said that we are living sacrifices. So it's the place where we come when we want to sacrifice ourselves to God. And so today, if the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to you, if he's moving in you and saying, you know what, I'm calling you to a deeper level of sacrifice in your life, I want you to respond today. I want you to come while, while we're leading this song, while they're singing, while we're worshiping together and just present yourself to God and say, okay, God, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I'm saying yes to you. I want to die to that inner three-year-old in my life that says it's all about me, that says I don't need to, I don't want to, because it's mine. So let's stand together, shall we? The team is gonna lead us, and if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I want you to respond, and then we'll close with a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful that you have left nothing on the table. You gave it all to us in the form of your son, Jesus, and you call us to live a life of sacrifice. God, forgive us when we fall short, and I pray that your Holy Spirit will not stop contending with our hearts, that you'll continue to convict us, O God, that we would offer up the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. God, that we would would offer that sacrifice of doing good to others and sharing with others. Father, I pray Lord, that you will continue to work in us. God, we admit that we are, we are far from perfect. But we pray, Lord, that you would move in us, that you would change us, that you would make us more like you. God, I thank you for every person that's here today. I thank you for those that have responded and simply said, God, I, I, I want to be what you desire me to be. God, I want to, to be sacrificial. God, I thank you for how you are changing us, how you are growing us. Father, we thank you. We praise you, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.